The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday Night Live from Mile High Church. Uh, My name is Reverend Masando. I am the host minister all month here at Wednesday Night Live. I'm joined here uh, with Michelle and Simon, friends, colleagues, and fellow ministers. And we're just going to have a conversation in this uh, living room that we're sitting in right here from a distance, practicing good (laughs) social distancing. And I'm just going to turn it over to uh, Michelle to lead us in that. Thank you. It's a lovely living room. It's great to be here with you gentlemen today and to see you in person. We were all commenting about how we've been seeing each other on Zoom and online for so long. Now it's nice just to be at a a distance, as you said, but in person. So welcome. Glad you're here. Yeah. Nice to see some other human beings. Yeah. I love my wife, Rebecca, but I think she's the only face that I've seen for the past couple weeks. It's good to see you all. And I know Rebecca gives you a lot of joy. She gives all of us a lot of joy. She's good at that. And I want to talk about joy tonight. I want to invite us into a conversation because this time that we're in, uh, I, I hear people talking online and see posts and things on Facebook and have conversations with friends and family that we can get caught up in uh, feeling really disconnected and almost losing our sense of joy. So I would like to have us share tonight what brings us joy. What are we, how are we leading ourselves to our, joy, our joyous experience during a time like this? Why don't you start uh, us on Well, I'm getting a lot of joy by wearing some actual pants uh, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, this is like the most put together I've been in a while. So it actually feels really good. (laughs) It's bringing me a tremendous amount of joy. And it's actually something that I started this week, right? I I realized that, you know, uh, I'm going to be working from home for a little bit now. So uh, I I can't just like be in pants that uh, have drawstrings and and that are stretchy every day. Like I have to br- bring some ritual and some uh, just just some structure into my life. So uh, you know this week this Monday I started uh, you know just treating every day like an like a work day like any other work day and taking a shower putting on actual pants, uh, even a collared shirt, uh, especially if I know that I'm having some Zoom meetings throughout that day. Uh, And it's actually brought me a tremendous amount of joy to bring a little more structure into my life. Mm. I think I was having a hard time sort of delineating when am I working and when am I not because I'm just at home all the time. Mm. But this has brought me a little more structure and a little more boundaries uh, so that like when I'm not working, I can really just relax and not work. So... That's a weird thing to uh, bring me joy, but putting on uh, actual pants uh, has been a a great thing for me. I think boundaries and having structure can bring people joy. It can give us a sense of a through line to the day and a sense of normalcy, which can feel very joyful during a time like this. Yes. Yeah, very good. What about you, Simon? Uh, Interpretive dance. (laughs) I would love to see that. I want to see that so bad. That would be fun. That will will never happen. uh, No, you know, for me, it's been getting, well, it's been finding balance uh, between being indoors, uh, doing the work stuff, attending to what I need to attend to, Mm -hmm. and then having those clear boundaries and saying, you know, I got to get outdoors. Uh, And my wife and I, my family and I, were blessed to live right up against the foothills. Mm-hmm. So it's real easy just to walk and next thing you know, be up on one of the trails. And um, man, getting 
getting outdoors has just been fantastic. So, yeah, that brings me a lot of joy. That's great. How about you, Michelle? Well, I've noticed, uh, again, I was talking uh, this last Sunday about being a people person. And on Sunday night, uh, my wonderful sister-in-love, Antoinette, had a birthday. And we were all feeling disconnected about how to celebrate her birthday. And so my mom had a great idea to do an online birthday party. So we invited family members from hither and yon to join us. And we had... Arizona family members and those of us here in Denver all get on a Zoom. And my mother suggested that we all wear funny hats, so we did, and that we come prepared to share some story about my sister-in-law or about our first impressions of her. And it was really a cool experience. It was very joyful, even though we were sitting in our living room, or our kitchen actually, nobody else was in the house except for my wonderful husband Ken and me, but it felt like those people were right there and we could connect with them. And so I still find that my greatest joy is in discovering creative ways to be connected to people. Creative ways in this time, I've noticed that I have a greater propensity to call my parents and check up on them, to call certain people and check up on them. And the motivation is to be sure that they're okay. And yet the connection that I'm having with them is providing my little heart uh, great joy, great joy. And so uh, how are you staying in touch with people? Are, are you feeling connected Yeah, to you people? know, it's interesting. This time has really asked me to not take anything for granted mm-hmm. and not take anyone for granted. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that, oh, I'm getting a little clamped. Like, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm finding that my love for the people in my life that I care most about is really present right now. Um, I think about my parents. I think about my grandma. Um, I think about my good friends that are scattered all around the country and around the world. I think about them a lot these days. And mm-hmm. I've been reaching out and we're connecting. And, you know, we're doing like a game night with a couple of my childhood friends this mm-hmm. Friday. And it's, it's almost like there's something arising in me like, the, like you can take nothing for granted. So how can we let the people we love the most know? Right, how much they mean to us, um, and just make sure that we're continuing that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really been a joy. Like I am actually keeping in better touch. I'm not one that keeps uh, good touch with people. Like I'm pretty bad at that. Um, Rebecca's amazing at it. Um, but yeah, so this has really invited me into that in a way where like I'm finding that I'm mm-hmm. getting even closer to people that I normally probably wouldn't even think about calling up until the next time we saw each other. Mm. So it's been this great invitation and it's, and it's come from a deep place of, of love. Um, and I've really appreciated that and, and being able to acknowledge that that's happening within me has been mm. really beautiful that and is joyful. Beautiful. Yeah. Great. And have you yeah. felt that you've been able to stay connected to people, Simon? You know, Michelle, I'm kind of an introvert. So this has actually been like awesome for me. (laughs) See, this is welcome to my world, everybody. (laughs) Online and introvert. Um, No, but you know, one one of the things I've noticed and I've loved is in some ways, and it's not the same, but in some ways I'm actually able 
to have more connection in that I'm able to attend meetings or gatherings that normally would be held up, you know, far up north or down south, and I wouldn't drive to. But now they're being held by Zoom or mm-hmm. some other online platform, and so I get to attend. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm part of a, a, a sangha, a group of guys, Masando uh, is as well, uh, and it's just, you know, normally we meet once a month, but we're spread out all over, and now... It's, it's kind of created almost this expectation of like, well, you know, distance, you've you got no excuse. Mm-hmm. So get together on Zoom. And we have. We've been doing it weekly now. And I'll tell you, it is really awesome to connect with these people that I otherwise would see at best once a month. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. created some new opportunities for connection as well. Mm. That's good, even for the introvert, huh? Exactly. <laughs> well, I can, always, I can always turn them off and mute them when I want to. <laughs> yeah, that's the good. Or turn then your own exactly. I'm not here. Right? Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? I can't hear you. <laughs> totally. I've loved the notion I've seen on, uh, on, on Facebook about happy hours, online happy hours, and I keep thinking, I'm going to have a happy hour. Sometime I'm going to do that. And uh, like you, I've find that the the blur between work and downtime sometimes has gotten a little bit strange. I do have a propensity even uh, during a non-quarantine time to look at my email a little too much and to respond to every text that comes my way and and this is making it a little worse for me so I think I need to find some time. I had I did have a couple of times I've had uh, sessions with a girlfriend on Zoom and you just you know, chatted and caught up and things like that. And that's been really good for me, but uh, I really need to be better at having those boundaries. So happy hour. Here I come. <laughs> Let's do it. One way or another. A happy <laughs> there you hour. Go. See, we may have found the solution to drinking and driving. Yeah, that's we'll just true. Just virtual bars now. Stay at that's home. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Stay at home. It's just as good. We did a next gen happy hour. Uh, last oh, week, uh, there was probably about 11 people there. Uh, Nate Dog was there, and it was cool because we were all. It was just, it's, I find myself just fascinated by the people, but also the background. Just like looking at their house, you know, and, and it's 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 just a cool little window into people's lives sure. that we normally don't get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it was a really great connection. Uh, we hung out for a few hours, uh, and it felt really good. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, it's good to be here, as I said before, connected to you, and uh, we have a great rest of our service plan. How about we get on with it? Well, so welcome. Let's just dive right into this. What do you regret? Now, I'll tell you what brought this up for me, why I've been thinking about regret. You know, like you, I've probably, I've had some time to do a lot of thinking and spend a little too much time on the internet. And one of the things I came across when I was spending some time on the internet is this, uh, was this video of a social experiment that had been done a number of years ago, maybe five or six years ago, by Strayer University. They had joined with a media company. And what they did was they set up a huge chalkboard in a... In a not a park, um, like a square in Brooklyn, New York. And at the top, in colorful chalk, they wrote, write your biggest regret. Now, as you might imagine at first, you know, people just sort of hustled and bustled by. But then people sort of started looking. And some stopped and started taking pictures. And as 
people did that, more people stopped, more people looked. And finally, one young woman, one brave young woman, went up and with a piece of chalk, she wrote her biggest regret. And then that prompted other people to do that more and more. And that went on throughout the day. People writing their biggest regrets. And you know what they noticed? There was one thing that the majority of them had in common. It was a little three-letter word. The word not. In most cases, people's biggest regret was something they had not done. Some sort of opportunity they hadn't taken. A dream they hadn't followed. Words they hadn't said. And that got me to thinking, well, what, what are my regrets? And as I thought about it, those things that came up for me, sure enough, they were things that I had not done for whatever reason. And, and trust me, there was a, a multitude of reasons. I didn't have the time. I didn't have the money. I didn't know how. I didn't have the connections. Maybe this just wasn't the right time. Maybe this wasn't mine to do. But I didn't say yes to those opportunities. I didn't say yes to those things that came up in front of me. So then I started thinking, because again, with this abundance of time and changed schedules, started thinking, well, I wish I could go back in the past so that I could change the present Right? So, so I could change these regrets. Right? If I could somehow travel back in time to the past, well, then maybe I could live a life, I could have a life with no regrets. Well, I thought and I thought and I thought about it. And I got nothing. I got nothing. There's no way, as far as I know, that I can go back in the past. But then I realized something. I had a, a sort of a little baby epiphany of sorts. And that was this. I can't go back in the past to change the present. But like we teach in this philosophy, I can change the future by intentionally creating my present. Right now, I and you are sowing the seeds that a future self will someday call the present. The question is, will that future self have regrets over the decisions, the beliefs, the behaviors that I make now? So I thought about that. All right. Well, what kind of life, what should I be doing now then to make sure that that future self, that life, that I'm creating a life of no regrets, or at least minimal regrets. What should I be doing now? And that reminded me of another story. It's a story from the movie, or based on the movie, The Fisher King. It goes like this. Once upon a time... There was a boy, a prince, who was made to spend the night in the forest alone, that he could demonstrate his courage 
and one day become king. And while he sat there in the darkness, alone, staring into the fire, suddenly he had a vision, a sacred vision. Out of the fire, he saw the Holy Grail, the symbol of God's divine grace. And he heard a voice. He heard a voice say, Behold, you shall be the keeper of the grail, that it might heal the hearts of humankind. Ah, but the boy, alas, was blinded by visions of a life filled with glory and power and gain. And so in this state of near drunken amazement, he felt for a moment, not like a boy, but invincible like God. And so he reached his hand into the fire to take the grail and possess it. Well, in doing so, the grail disappeared, leaving him with his hand in the fire, which was terribly wounded. Years passed, and that boy, that prince, did indeed become king. And his wound grew deeper until he reached a place where life for him had no meaning. He had no faith in any man, not even himself, and he certainly had no faith in God. For many nights he had asked a single question, Why? And God? God did not answer. He was left without love, unable to love, unable to feel love. He was sick with the conditions of his experience. He was dying. But then one day, a fool wandered into his bedchamber and saw the king as he usually was, alone, by himself. The fool, being simple-minded, didn't see a king. He just saw a man, alone and in pain. So he called out, What ails you, friend? The king replied, I thirst. I need water to, to quench my burning throat. So the fool looked around, found a goblet, filled it with water, handed it to the king. The king began drinking and suddenly realized there was nothing to be healed. Only the truth revealed. He looked at his hand and found it whole. And in his hand, he saw the Holy Grail, that which he had sought for his entire life. He turned to the fool in amazement, asking, how, how could you find that which my bravest and brightest could not? The fool replied, I don't know. I only knew that you were thirsty. And so the question I would ask on this 
April 1st, this fool's day, could it be that it takes a fool to see that which is right at hand, to see that which is essential, but is too often invisible to the eye? And if so, on this fool's day and on every day, maybe we can be a little more foolish. Now typically I am somewhat reluctant to break down a story, to give my interpretation, because after all, that's the purpose of the story, for you to sit with it, to let it land upon you however it does, and speak to you with whatever it has to say. But there are a few things that I wanted to share. You see, the characters in the story, of course, represent some aspect of us, individually or collectively, as a society, as a greater whole. The prince and the king represent a shift in time. The king being the sovereign, being the wise one, the one who has gained knowledge and gained wisdom from experience, is now able to utilize that that wisdom and that knowledge. Whereas the prince, the boy, well, is immature, hasn't quite learned to fully integrate that wisdom. It could be said that we find ourselves now in the forest, in a dark time, the dark night. And there are those who have utilized this time and the time that preceded it, becoming blinded by a life, by visions of power and gain and glory. Now, there's nothing wrong with living a life of power and glory and gain, but perhaps in moderation. And like Masanda was speaking of, perhaps when we're blinded by such visions, we tend to lose sight of what is really essential. It becomes easier to take things for granted. It becomes easier to get lost in our privileged. And so in those moments, we find what is truly important. And until that time, if we are pursuing those things which do not last and ultimately do not fulfill, then we can find, in a sense, we are living wounded, living hurt, living unfulfilled. And perhaps it does take a fool, the fool representing the one who doesn't get lost in all of the conventions and the thinking and the traps, trappings. It represents the one who is awake, the one who sees clearly, the one who exists in the present, who sees simply. The one who sees that which is essential, but too often invisible to the eye. So as I started thinking about my regrets, I had to shift from those things that I couldn't change to those things that I can still create. So I asked myself and I would ask you, how are you living now? 
What choices are you making now? It's easy to do all the right things and, and you know, have a wonderful time and be in the positive when everything is rolling out that way. I think this time, this time in the forest, this time of mystery, this time of uncertainty, has given us all an opportunity to ask what is truly essential, what truly nurtures and fulfills us. And knowing that, we are then equipped to ask ourselves, am I really showing up? Not necessarily living the life that I want to today. None of us wants to be quarantined, self-isolating. None of us wants to be in the midst of a pandemic. But am I showing up in a way Am I, am I making myself available to this situation in such a way that some future self who looks back on this time will not do so with regret? Will not say, well, you know, if only I had failed, hadn't not spoken to that person. If only I hadn't sealed myself off so much. If only perhaps I hadn't been quite so worried if I had reached out to this person or that person. So this is the invitation to you on this Fool's Day to be a little foolish, to live a little simply, and to live your life in a way that when you arrive at that future point, you will look back and be absolutely overwhelmed with the compassion, the grace, and the beauty that you brought to this moment. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.